Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and I am alone this week. Jasmine's really busy. It's her husband's birthday this week. She is in a merge, and that's actively going on right now. Her friend Yvette, our friend Yvette, is running for judge, and Yvette's kickoff event is this week, and Jasmine's been helping to plan that. Um, and um, you may probably know this about her already, but she's also a full-time lawyer, so she's been really busy, and uh, she asked to be able to not record this week, so that's fine. I have plenty of things to talk to you about. We're going to talk a little bit about fallout from the issues around Quintez Brown's alleged shooting uh, at Craig Greenberg and, and some of the things that Republicans have been doing in the wake, in addition to, the, to what Craig Greenberg's campaign and Craig Greenberg himself have said about that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the redistricting lawsuit, which is moving forward. We got our first ruling in that case, and also we're going to be talking about marijuana. Rachel Roberts is House member from Northern Kentucky, as well as Morgan McGarvey and David Yates, who are senators from Louisville. They have unveiled marijuana legislation, uh, which asks or, or, or seeks to see a fully legalized marijuana state in Kentucky, uh, much like there are many others of. I think there's like 16 other states that have fully legalized marijuana at this point. So uh, that this bill would seek to see Kentucky added to that list. So without any further ado, let's talk about the fallout from the alleged shooting by Quintess Brown at Craig Greenberg. So yeah, in case you missed it, we talked about this at length last week, but Quintess Brown is accused of attempted murder and wanton endangerment in the shooting at Craig Greenberg's office. His bail was set at $100,000, and I think the day he went to jail, or maybe the day after, his bail was paid by the Louisville Community Bail Fund. That set a series of reactions in motion by Kentucky Republicans, some of which I think are seem to be using a tragedy to push an anti-criminal justice reform agenda. So from the floor of the U.S. Senate, Mitch McConnell, a senator from Kentucky, said, quote, less than 48 hours after this activist tried to literally murder a politician, the radical left bailed their comrade out of jail. It is just jaw-dropping. The innocent people of Louisville deserve better, unquote. So that was Mitch McConnell's quote from the floor of the United States Senate. Last week, we also detailed Jason Nemus's attempt to ban groups like the Louisville Bail Project and the Louisville Community Bail Fund to post bails. And in the wake of this incident, that well, first of all, Jason Nemus pushed to have that bill heard. And in addition, he said he would file a bill which would allow judges to withhold bail for defendants which were believed by the judge to be a danger to the community. Currently, I, th- I think the, the term is that bail is presumed. Uh, you basically, the judges have to give bail unless it's a capital case. And this would be a constitutional amendment that would uh, make it so that judges could basically hold anyone in. We haven't seen the legislation yet, or at least I haven't seen the legislation yet. So I don't know if it makes anything about like any reforms to the cash bail system, but I would doubt it. So um, that is kind of one of a, a few of the things that, that Republicans are saying in the wake of the shooting. Craig Greenberg's statements in the wake of, you know, Quintez Brown posting bail have been, I I think, in my opinion, they've been nuanced and and they've been good. He's been unequivocal that he's upset that the man who allegedly shot at him was released from jail the next day, but he also took care to make sure that he connected 
his feelings with the feelings of other people in the community that have experienced the same thing, and also to Quintez Brown and his family. So the first part of, of Craig Greenberg's statement focuses on its own frustration, pain, and trauma. Here it is, quote, It is nearly impossible to believe that someone can attempt murder on Monday and walk out of jail on Wednesday. If someone is struggling with a mental illness and is in custody, they should be evaluated and treated in custody. Sadly, like others who suffer from a broken system, my team and family have been traumatized again by this news, unquote. You know, it is tough uh, when you get shot at by someone to watch them walk out of jail. Uh, you know, I understand that Quintez Brown is in home incarceration and he's got the ankle monitor and everything, but that's really scary. The guy who tried to kill you, um, you know, allegedly, Quintez Brown as an accused person has rights. Um, but, you know, uh, Craig Greenberg saw what happened and, um, yeah, he obviously feels traumatized by this. That's what he said. So, you know, that's the first part of the statement. But then he follows that up by connecting his individual experience to the rest of the community where gun violence has become a lot more common over the past couple of years. Quote, too many families in our city live in fear to the constant threat of gun violence. We must all work together to fix the system so it works for everyone and is focused on preventing violent crime from happening. I will remain focused on the urgent work to make Louisville safer, reduce senseless, senseless gun violence, and combat the root causes of it. And I will lead the effort to invest more in mental health resources in all, all of our neighborhoods, especially in our jails, unquote. So that's, you know, referencing major issues that are going on in our jail, um, uh, major issues around the, the access to mental health care, and also, uh, you know, referencing the fact that there's a lot of people in Louisville who over the past few years and, you know, throughout time have experienced gun violence. That's not something that's uncommon in our cities, unfortunately, and, and Louisville has set records for murders over the past couple of years. So that's that's what he said. I, you know, I, that, that's the part that I think is nuanced, and I thought it was very good. And, and the close I thought was especially strong. Here it is. Quote, Mr. Brown and his family are hurting. My family and team are hurting. I pray for everyone involved in this alarming incident, unquote. I think that is very gracious to say that, you know, he understands that Quintez Brown and his family are hurting after this uh, and connecting it to, you know, this is a this is a person who committed a terrible act that traumatized him, who is likely sick facing And that, that's a big part of the court case is that he's facing significant mental health issues. And that's one of the reasons behind it. So so being able to acknowledge that, I think is very good of Craig Greenberg. So um, yeah, that was his statement in the wake of, of the bail. Um, I, you know, to me, <laughs> uh, this is an attack that's been politicized. And, and I think Craig Greenberg sees that. And I think he's taking an honest and nuanced approach to an incredibly difficult subject, both for him and for the community. And then you have Mitch McConnell and you have Jason Emus, who I think are mostly just trying to capitalize on someone else's tragedy to push an agenda that they already support. So that's Quintez Brown and Craig Greenberg and the bail that got posted for Quintez Brown um, and the fallout from it. Let's move on to talk a little bit about redistricting. So we've talked quite a bit about the lawsuit. Uh, various organs of the Democratic Party are waging against the redistricting maps. Definitely check out our previous shows from the beginning of the year for more information about the arguments in those court cases and about the maps themselves. If you're interested in that, we talked about that at length. So be sure to check out those if you're interested in that part of the argument. But we got our first rulings in this case from Judge Wingate in Franklin County Circuit Court. And, and you know, both sides were able to claim some sort of victory from this ruling. So 
One of the things that Judge Wingate did is that he allowed the lawsuit to proceed. Republicans wanted the judge to dismiss the lawsuit, but the judge declined to do that. So that's a victory for Democrats. This is actually going to get its day in court. There will be a hearing, and, and that's you know good for the Democrats, not what the Republicans wanted. However, Judge Wingate did not stay the maps. That is something he had in his uh, his you know bag of tricks. The thing, one of the things he could have done, he could have stayed these maps. We could have rerun the election on the old maps that we know, you know, don't violate the law. Um, and, and then we could have moved forward based on the lawsuit. And if the Democrats lost, we would have used the new maps in 2024. And then if not, uh, if the Democrats won, we would have had to done something different to get new maps. But instead, it does appear that because he did not stay the maps, that we are going to use these maps in the current election. That's a victory for Republicans, obviously, who drew the maps. I don't think we're guaranteed to run the election using these maps. There could be something that happened in the on the appellate side, uh, but for for now, it seems like we likely the most likely space is that we are going to run at least the 2022 election using these maps. A full hearing on the merits of the case is going to be held on March the first, and a ruling, of course, will come sometime after that. Usually it's a couple weeks. I think it'll be probably mid-March when we get this ruling. But it seems likely that this is going to the Supreme Court, and that's where you could see stays up the chain. So, you know, somebody on the appellate level could stay the map. The Supreme Court itself could stay the map. But because Judge Wingate didn't stay the map, I think it's unlikely that the next courts up the chain will do it. So um, it does look likely that the 2022 map is going to be run on the maps that were passed early in the session. But if Democrats do manage to win the lawsuit, it seems likely that the election in 2024 will be runoff of new maps. Who would draw them is kind of an open question. That's something that the judge is going to rule on. Um, the judge can, in other states, the judge draws the maps themselves. Like the judicial branch will actually draw the map. Um, in, in other states, you know, the, the judicial system, the, the courts, you know, appoint people to draw the maps. Um, but I think what's mostly likely if the Democrats do manage to win is that they they just send the legislature uh, back the maps, the, the task to draw the maps with more clear rules to say, okay, you can't split cities this many ways. Or like you have to minimize the number of cuts within the counties in addition to uh, splitting the minimum number of counties. So so it, it could be something like that. I think that's most likely. But of course, like I mentioned, the judge has many things that he is able to do. I guess by the time it gets to the Supreme Court that they may do. So... That is that is what's going on. Uh, one one thing that's worth mentioning about this is it's just the House and congressional maps that are part of the lawsuit. The Senate map is basically set. The Senate map that passed in the legislature that's pretty much there for the next decade. It seems like the House and the congressional maps could potentially change. Okay, so that's the redistricting lawsuit. The last thing I kind of wanted to talk about today is this new marijuana legislation that has been unveiled by Rachel Roberts of Northern Kentucky, who's a House member, and Morgan McGarvey and David Yates, who are senators from Louisville. So uh, they're calling it the Let's Grow bill, uh, and L-E-T-T is the acronym, and it's called Legalize, Expunge, Treat, and Tax. Uh, there was mirror bills 
uh, that were filed HB 521 and SB 186. So a little bit about what the bill actually does. It creates a cannabis control board with seven seats from each of the Supreme Court districts. The board would, would kind of be the main body regulating marijuana in Kentucky. Uh, the, the thing that the sponsors are saying is that it will regulate from seed to sale. So that's some nice use of alliteration there about how marijuana will be regulated in Kentucky. The board would be selected by the governor and confirmed by the Senate. And there's like a set of qualifications that you have to meet in order to serve on this board, including experience in business. And there has to be quote, racial, ethnic, gender, and geographic diversity, unquote. And this board has to be proportionally divided between Republicans and Democrats based on registration statistics. This board would be in charge of licensing the businesses involved in the cannabis industry and would be housed in the public protection cabinet. In addition to the cannabis control board, the bill also creates a social impact council, which would directly address the impact of economic disinvestment, violence, and historical overuse of criminal justice responses to community and individual needs by providing resources to support local design and control of community-based responses to these impacts, unquote. That's a quote from the bill itself. The the council would have 19 members, and it must include someone who's been incarcerated or convicted of a cannabis-related crime. There must be experts in public health, um, with experience in trauma-informed care, experts in education, foster care, and workforce development as well, as well as representatives from each of Kentucky's HBCUs. There must be a veteran, and there's a bunch of other specific spots uh, that the bill envisions on this 19-seat council. Other important members of the government would be ex officio members or be allowed to put designates onto those uh, onto th- this group, um, groups like, you know, cabinet. So economic development, health and family services, justice and public safety, labor and education and workforce development, as well as the AG, um, the, the secretary of that cabinet or their designate would be ex officio members of this group. So the Social Impact Council would administer the funds raised by by the legalization of marijuana to do things like develop scholarships and grants, as well as, you know, kind of create a budget. And there's a bunch of other things that are laid out in the bill itself that the Social Impact Council would do. The bill, you know, legalizes marijuana and then taxes it. The the tax on marijuana would be the 6% sales tax which is the same tax that we have on everything else. But then it also allows local governments to tax marijuana licenses. So that was, you know, the Cannabis Control Board can license businesses to sell, to, you know, process, to grow, et cetera. You have to have a license to to work with marijuana under this framework. And those licenses themselves can be taxed at as much as 5% at the local level. And counties can opt out of legalization. So we would have sort of like a wet, dry situation just like we do with alcohol. So, you know, I would expect that in many of the places where marijuana sales are legal, you would see at about 11% tax, which is pretty normal. I think Rachel Roberts said that that was in line with Michigan. And then there's actually some states, I think, that tax it as high as like 25%. So so that's what the bill envisions, about an 11% tax on marijuana. Of course, this legislation has, you know, nearly no chance to pass. We had Rachel Roberts on our show a while back, and she talked about, you know, her framework that she was working on at the time. So now we've seen it. 
She said the framework exists both to show what she thinks that the state could do if enough of the right people were in the legislature who supported the legalization of marijuana. Like, this is how it could look. Um, And that's a great thing to put out there. I think that's definitely a major role of a minority party legislator. um, and, And I really commend her for putting this out. But also one of the things she said she wanted to do is to, you know, legalization most likely is going to come from the federal government and the state's going to have to have some sort of framework um, to regulate it. And, and this, this bill like lays out what that could be. So, you know, once the, you know, once the feds legalize it, if that's how it works, um, this, it, this framework exists as something that's well thought through um, that I know that she's had lots and lots of people look at it. Um, and yeah, this, this framework exists so that if marijuana is legalized at the federal level, Kentucky isn't caught flat footed. Okay, so another thing, another wrinkle in Kentucky's marijuana journey is that House Bill 136, which is Jason Nemus's medical marijuana bill, has not yet started moving. Um, the Whatever the bill was called in 2020, that did pass the House, uh, and, and it, did, it, it then died in the Senate. Um, it, it's been reported, I've seen reported a couple of places and also heard the rumor that Whitney Westerfield, a senator, has been working with Jason Nemus to address some of the issues that the Senate saw in the bill last year. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that increases the likelihood that the bill would pass the Senate. I do know that a lot of the marijuana advocates, you know, don't think that the changes were necessarily good ones. Um, and it seems like this Let's Grow Bill is definitely more in line with the people who are advocates for marijuana legalization. It's the bill they'd rather see passed, but political, you know, the political situation of the legislature being it what it is, um, House Bill 136, Jason Nemus's bill, um, seems like the thing that is more likely to pass, but um, it's up against stiff opposition in the Senate, and it seems, to me at least, unlikely to, to make it happen in this session but we'll see we'll see um obviously jason emas has other priorities as well like banning bail funds and making it so that judges can keep people in jail if they're a danger to the community so you know we'll see we'll see what happens with with marijuana with all these different bills and what the federal government has to say about um about marijuana in the next few years okay um, th- those are kind of the main things that I wanted to talk about today. Uh, it's pretty early in the week, so I didn't want to put together a COVID update, even though I didn't do one yes, last week either, I guess. Um, just out- major outlines, Omicron is coming down. Um, the amount it's coming down seems to be flattening out a little bit, but we are below the peak of Delta, and it looks like we're falling faster than we were even at the peak of Delta. One weird wrinkle was that Louisville was actually worse last week than it was the week before, so Louisville actually went back up. But it has started coming down again. So, um, you know, weird things happening in Louisville. There's a lot of potential explanations. I haven't, you know, I don't know if we have the data to answer it. It could be just access to testing, likelihood to test, that kind of thing. Um, and But overall, in the whole state, our numbers uh, of infections are declining rapidly, as are our hospitalizations, as are our, um, you know, other markers, ICU usage, etc. Deaths are starting to tick up a little bit which makes sense because, you know, we're after the part when a lot of infection happened uh, a couple weeks past that. And also our vaccination rate is down a little bit. I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but broadly speaking, that's what's going on with COVID in Kentucky this week. All right. Like I mentioned, Jasmine is not here. I miss her. I miss her desperately, uh, especially here at the end when usually the part that she, she does. So if you want to reach out to us, you can do it, um, you know, at my old KY pod. We're on Twitter, Facebook, 
Instagram. Um, we have a newsletter. You can sign up for that at tinyletter.com slash newsletter. We have a Patreon. If you'd like to support us, you can do that at the $1 a month level or more. And, um, yeah, reach out to us if you're interested. You know, just send us a DM on whatever platform you're most comfortable with. And, you know, we'll get back to you. We'll talk to you. We talk to people all the time. So that's us. Um, you know, listen to us on the podcasting app of your choice. Uh, but, yeah, thank you for very much for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>